Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that we've touched on briefly before, but never had an extensive conversation about. And one of the reasons we've never had an extensive conversation about this topic is because it's very hard to find people willing to speak to that topic. But today, that's going to change because we have... Jessica Harris, who's an anti-porn activist, uh, she runs the blog Beggar's Daughter and has also written a book by the same title. And what she does is she describes what it's like to be a girl who was addicted to porn, and she discusses female porn use. She uses her testimony, but also a lot of research that indicates that female porn use is a growing problem. Traditionally, porn has been viewed as a male problem, and Jessica Harris is one of the first and clearest voices explaining that that is no longer the case if it ever was. And I first met her, actually, uh, in Texas when I went to the uh, Coalition Summit and Sexual Exploitation, and I heard her speak there. And I was extraordinarily impressed not only by how she told her story, uh, but how she used her story to explain what is going on in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of other women like her. So I've invited her onto the program so that we can have a discussion about this in hopes that many of you, uh, many of you who are listening who might have even struggled with the same thing, uh, will not feel so alone, will have more information going forward. And at the end of the day, we'll just have a clearer picture of what's affecting our culture. So here's that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Okay, to start off, uh, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and how you ended up writing a blog about porn? Well, I um, was introduced to pornography when I was 13 years old and struggled with it for four years and got it got to, to the point where I really felt like I should be a porn star, like that was going to be the next step in life for me. So I went down that road. I was trying to figure out how to break into the industry, and I ended up sending my pictures to uh, a gentleman. And um, just it was a really low point for me. It was a really, really bad place for me. And I, I hated being there. I hated that my life had become that. I hated that it had gotten to that point. Um, and it took me about a, a year of being kind of in that really bad place to realize that it's not what I wanted mm-hmm. <laughs> for my life. And um, finally got to the, I went on to Bible college um, after a year of being in this relationship with this man online. And somebody there said to me, like, women have this problem and we, we want to help you. We want to help the women who have this problem. Um, but there aren't resources out there for this. So, I I got help from them using resources designed for men, um, and we worked through them for two years. It took about two years for me to really feel like I had some kind of handle on this and I was experiencing some kind of healing and some kind of freedom. Um, and then I thought, okay, what do I want to do with my life now? What's next? And really just felt burdened to start developing those resources and start having this conversation in a broader in a broader scope. Mm-hmm. And I saw that off for two years because I didn't want to be the, the girl who talks about porn. Like that did not want to, that was not the life goal <laughs> that I had for myself. And finally 
did a blog and it wasn't, it didn't even start as a blog. It just started as a website where I shared my story and I was very angry at the people who I felt had failed me and the people who hadn't talked about this, the people who hadn't helped me. I was, so it was a very angry little website where I shared my story and like the 501 ways that people screwed up and let me down. Um, and someone finally emailed me and said, you know, maybe instead of getting angry at these people, you should do something to help them help people like you. And that's kind of where the the blog started from and just realizing that if I shared my story and I was open with it and open with the little details of it, um, that I could, that I could help other women by kind of telling their stories for them because we all have very similar stories when it comes to this. So mm-hmm. really breaking the ice for them and starting the conversation on a, on a wider scale and allowing people to ask me questions that they might be afraid to ask um, either women who are addicted or allowing the women who are addicted to ask me questions they might be afraid to ask of someone if they're not sure how to get help. Right. And kind of playing that middle person, that middle bridge between the two and just to allow that conversation to happen in local communities and with, within families or within um, college groups or in church settings, wherever it might be, to allow that conversation to happen, to allow one side to acknowledge that, yes, this is a problem, and the other side to understand that they can get help and find freedom. So to understand that this is a problem, because what struck me when I heard you speak in Texas was that the story you described unfolding beginning at a young age happened inside a church community. And I have talked to, I can't count at this point, how many people I have talked to about pornography, because I do a lot of speaking on that, but it's usually one of two kinds of people. It's either a guy who's hooked on porn or needs help getting free, or second of all, it's a wife who's discovered uh, that her husband is looking at porn. So you're dealing with either addiction or betrayal trauma. Your case is, is much, much different. So how did it, it, it kind of start out for you, and how did it feel being a girl in a Christian community, having this problem and feeling like you couldn't tell anybody about this at all? Right. So I grew up in a, in a very conservative Christian community, um, and the only way, <laughs> the only time we ever really talked about sex was just to say not to have it, and that was right. the extent of that conversation. Um, and we never even... We never were told about this thing of pornography. We were never even alerted that it was, at least the women, the girls weren't. I do remember being at church camp during my teen years at one point, and a young man did get up at the campfire, and we were sharing about how our lives had changed or different things we wanted to change when we got home, and he had said, I've been watching porn for years, and I really want to change, and like that was the end of that conversation. Right. <laughs> there right. was no good for you. There was no nothing after that. Like that. He was not allowed to speak again. So that's kind of the, the environment that I grew up in. Um, in my family, it wasn't mentioned. It wasn't talked about. So when I found it, I didn't even have a, a word for it when I first found it, and it was like, what is this? Oh, is this what I went to a public school? I did. I grew up in a church. I was in church, active in church, Christian family, but I did go to a public school. And I was like, oh, this must be what all my friends are talking about, the stuff that they're watching online. But I was in junior high, freshman in high school. It just, it was not, I didn't have a category for it. I didn't have a context for it. I didn't have anything for it. 
So I really didn't think it was actually too much of a problem for the first couple of years that I used it. I thought, well, I'm not actually going out and having sex, so this is safe. So right. we'll just go ahead and we'll do this. And there's no STDs. There's no pregnancy. You don't have to worry about abortion. Don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, this is totally, this is totally safe. And when I first started, I felt like I could turn it on and turn it off whenever I wanted to. Like, I was completely in control of it. And didn't really feel the need to tell anybody because I didn't necessarily think it was wrong. It, it seems like this is a safe form of expression for me. This is this is how I can survive without um, actually doing anything. It's how I can sound like I'm in the know with my friends at school. It's how I can talk the talk and know what they're talking about, how I can feel acceptable and connected. It wasn't until maybe my junior year of high school that it really started to wreak havoc where I, it was like I needed this. I had to have it. And I was staying up late at night watching the channels on TV that we didn't even have, just waiting for scenes to flip through. And I was struggling to keep my grades up. I was not sleeping well. And I just felt like even on the days where I didn't want to do it. It was like my body was just doing it for me. Like I would say, not today, not today, not today. And my feet would hit the floor and it's like they walked to the computer room on their own. And I hate, I hated not being in control anymore. And so I would print off pictures and light them on fire because I wanted to prove that I was stronger. I would um, save images to floppy disks. So this is <laughs> back in the day. Right. But I would save images to floppy disks and I would um, just break the discs apart in this rage and this anger and I would run a magnet along the middle and I would slice them up with scissors because I wanted to prove that I was stronger and when that didn't work um, I started to actually like go into self-harm a bit and self-punishment where <clears throat> if I wasn't able to stop myself if I did go to the computer room and I did watch for you know, five hours or however long because I, I was home alone and I would go into the bathroom when I was done and just bang my head against the bathtub because I was so mad and I thought, okay, if I can make this hurt, I'll stop. Um, when that didn't work, I would turn on the shower really, really hot and get used to it a little bit and then turn it on even hotter until my skin was like bright red because I just was trying to get it to stop. I finally decided to Google or to search for um, help with porn addiction or porn and everything was for men. And that's, that was the first time that I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what does this mean? Why, why isn't there something out there for women? What is, what is going on? I don't understand. Um, so then I started searching women who struggle and there was nothing. So then I kind of panicked because if there's nothing out there, then what, what's wrong where, how am I going to get out of this? If no one's talking about this, if there's nothing for me, like, how am I going to get out of here? Um, and in my church community, I decided, if someone has the answers, they do. So I began to talk about it in past tense. Like, oh, I used to right. struggle with pornography. I used to do this. And the generic response was, oh, well, that's great that you don't do that anymore. And moving on. Um, there was never... It was never a discussion. It was just like, oh, that's nice. And we keep going. So I had a really hard time trying to understand 
just who I was and why I was doing this and why this was such a problem. Um, there was a lot of talk about how if you, you know, if you love Jesus enough, you'll stop doing these kinds of things. And it was like, okay, but I, I've tried everything and I can't seem to stop. So how do I get help? And there just, there wasn't anything. Um, and so being a woman in that, in that context is so isolating. It's so hard for you because you think, what is wrong with me as a woman that's, that's taking me to this place? Um, then you read all the stuff about how horrible porn is and how it's degrading to women and how terrible it is. And you read all the stuff for men. It talks about like how they're horrible people for watching it and you know they don't love their wives. And you're just thinking, what's wrong with me if I'm a woman and I'm, I'm doing this? Why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? So that was a, a very hard context to struggle in. But I, most of my audience is Christian women. That's, that's who is coming forward and saying, I had this problem, too. And then you took this to Bible college with you. So I went to, yes, I went graduated high school, and I went off to a Christian college, a liberal arts school first, and took it with me. And I had prayed that I would get caught, because I thought, if anybody has resources and can help, it's the people, the dean staff at a college. Surely they've seen this before. Surely I'm not the only girl who has this problem. Surely they can help me. But I was terrified to be the one to start that conversation. I did not want to walk into the dean's office and <laughs> introduce myself and say, and by the way, I struggle with porn. So I did get caught. I ended up getting caught a few weeks into school and was summoned to the dean's office. And they had the internet history report from my login. They had that on the desk, all printed off. And someone had gone through and highlighted all of the websites that were obviously pornographic. And by that point, I was into very, um, very dark and very twisted fetishes. I had gone from like plain vanilla to being like I was scaring myself with what I was watching. And they were just sickened, and they said, this is disgusting, this is twisted, whoever is doing this really needs help. Um, and I was ready to, to say yes. Like, if they, were, if they would have asked me, was this you, I would have said yes. I never got that chance. Um, the conversation quickly turned to, we know this wasn't you, women don't have this problem. And I was then berated for getting my password and login information out to guys on campus. They assumed that I had given it, just given it out to my guy friends so they could use it for whatever they wanted. Um, so that's what they accused me of. And they made me sign a contract saying I would never give out my password again. And I signed it and then went back to my dorm room. And that was when I, I just felt like I can't, the only way I can live with this, the only way that I can live with myself, because there's something obviously very wrong with me, was if I just went into the industry, if I just went into the porn industry, because it didn't make sense um, that I was the, the only woman in the world. Like, obviously, some women must do this, and those are the women who are actually in porn themselves. So those must be the only women in the world who actually like this stuff. So that's why, that's why I thought of actually going into 
the industry and just where I got to in my life. I went from wanting to be a doctor and getting straight A's to just saying, forget it. I can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep playing this game of, of being perfect and of, <laughs> of hitting all of these goals and being successful while I'm dragging this around with me. So if, if I can't get out of it, then the only way I can live with myself is just to join it. So I left that first school um, for financial reasons and because I didn't think I wanted my mom paying, you know, and investing her hopes <laughs> into her daughter becoming a doctor when I figured that I was going somewhere very different. Um, so I went back home after that semester, and then the next fall I ended up in Bible college. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because as you've told me and many others, there are many, many, many women and girls who can relate to your story of even growing up in a, in a Christian home, going to church, you know, uh, appearing to walk the walk, but having the secret struggle that they feel they can't talk to anybody about. And most people have have typically believed that porn is a mainly male problem. So how, if at all, is porn use different for a girl? Does addiction function the exact same way it does for a guy. How do they re- we know how men relate to porn. As you've pointed out, there's pages and pages and pages of research and their speakers and, and and all the rest. Uh so we know how men relate to porn, but how do women relate to porn? Right. So pornography is mostly shot like the video wise. It's it's made for men. Um so it features very much um the female body. It's shot from male point of view. Um, and for the male's enjoyment, so you're not going to see a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the man's body or his face in it. So for men, when they watch, they kind of take the place of the man um, in the porn in the porn movie, and that's why it can be so it can wrap them up so much because they're thinking about being the guy who's doing this to this woman. Whereas women, they have actually found um, are aroused by picturing themselves as the woman in the video, but it's kind of confusing at the same time for a woman who watches because it's from a man's point of view. So then you get so many women who they go into this, they seem innocently enough. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal for them. Um, it's maybe their boyfriends introduce them to it. I've had some who have come to me and their parents have actually accidentally introduced them to it because they were playing it on their TV in their bedroom and the kid walked in while they were cleaning or something. So I've had different, there's different things that introduce girls to this and they might, and because it's arousing, it, it, and it's just as arousing for the woman as it is for the man, um, it, they're not necessarily appalled by it right away. Some women are just depending on what they've been introduced to, but then just like men, they can be desensitized to softer stuff and then progress into darker fetishes. So for women, the complication comes from just kind of like that split point of view where they really are being turned on by imagining themselves or picturing themselves as the woman in the video. But then because it's for men, there's just like this the little extra twist in it of, so am I, am I objectifying women? Like there's this added layer of kind of like the shame and a little bit of it messes with your head a bit. I have many women who come to me and ask, does this mean that I'm a lesbian? Because I don't want to be a lesbian. <laughs> I, I don't want 
to, I, I, I don't like women. I don't understand why I'm watching this. Why am I watching this if I don't like women? And so there's this added layer of shame kind of that works its way into it. And then because it's so, because they're connecting almost with the woman in the video, there's a, this layer of emotion almost that gets pulled into it as well, where they are identifying with that woman. So they are, they're telling themselves, I am, it's okay for whatever happening in this video to be done to me. I am worth that. And when I go and I speak and I share my story, I say, you have to think about it. Like how far down on the food chain, so to speak, do you have to be to be aroused by another woman losing her dignity and her value and her worth? Like, you, when you come to that realization as a woman who watches, like, I am watching another woman be robbed of, of value. I'm watching another woman be objectified. I am imagining myself as her, and that's turning me on. Like, this is, it, there's these extra layers of twists in there because it becomes so much of an identity of who you are as a woman. So it's, I feel like the addiction for women is so much more intertwined into who we are. And that's why there's so much struggle and that's why there's so much shame. And that's why I tell people that it's so important. It's not like, it's not like men. Um, men will come forward when it starts to possibly threaten their relationship or maybe their wife catches them. Um, they might just come forward because they're tired of dealing with it or because they kind of talk about it, whereas women will go the other way and they will work super hard to protect this because it's so shameful and it's so much a part of who they are at the same time. They're trying to untangle it and trying to figure out how to separate themselves from it. They will actually almost create another persona that this perfect woman, like you said, who has it all together and they will push really hard to be her. I have women who write to me, they're pastor's wives, they're missionaries, they're worship leaders, they're nuns. These are women who are pushing hard to look like they have it all together and trying to almost convince themselves, like, no, you don't have to be like that woman in the video. No, you don't have to be like her. You are worth something. You, you don't have to be like that. So they almost live this double life that they're trying to navigate between and a woman won't really come forward and get help on her own until she's at a breaking point and until the fear of wherever she is going in her addiction scares her more than the fear of somebody knowing um women they don't really come forward other than out of terror and honesty like just i don't want to become this i am afraid of who i am becoming somebody please help me. So when we reach out to men, it's more of a, it can be more of like a behavior modification, stop doing that, let's talk about addictive process, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Whereas with women, it's, it's an identity crisis. It's, it's saving them from where they think they personally are going. It's not just, oh, this was fun and I should probably stop. This is, this is becoming, this is who I am becoming and I am terrified of that. And one of the things that I uncovered in my research over the past couple of years on how porn fuels rape culture lends itself to what you're saying about this identity crisis, because all of the polling shows uh, that it 
how does it put it? It actually grooms women to accept sexual violence and sexual assault as a romantic event. In many cases, they found in polling uh, that women who were addicted to this type of pornography, especially when they got to the more aggressive stuff, recommended much lesser sentences for rapists than, than people who had not been exposed to pornography. Would you say then that one of the things pornography is doing as part of this identity crisis is socializing women to accept uh, sexual violence and sexual aggression in the so-called romantic context and that it serves almost as a grooming tool. Yeah, oh, I definitely believe that, that pornography grooms um, the next generation of, of victims. And I think you were there at my talk in Texas when I said and the next generation of victims is going to be, are people who are going to victimize themselves. Like, they're going to objectify themselves willingly because they think that that's what's expected of them. They think that this is what is normal. This is mm-hmm. what is acceptable. Like, it's not normal for me to say, no, you can't smack me around and punch me, and you can't, you know, call me names. You can't talk to me that way. That's not going to be normal anymore. The normal is going to be the sexual violence and the aggression. Um rape, all of that is going to be normal because these women have and have been kind of desensitized to the, the violence and how not okay that is. They are essentially watching that in pornography and like I said, they're identifying with that woman and they're being aroused by it. So when a man comes forward to say uh, he rapes a woman and he comes forward and he says, well, she probably liked it then a woman who has an exposure to that kind of fetish and pornography would say, yeah, she probably did. Because that's where she's been. That's what she's seen. And they seem to like it. They seem to be okay with it. She she enjoys or she's turned on by imagining herself as that woman. So, and I remember in high school even, there was a girl who, in my class, who said, you know, if I were ever raped, she said I would just, sit back and try to enjoy it because why not and it was just <laughs> this is this is the mindset that is being cultivated in our young women um, and I think pornography is huge in that it's it's telling them what's acceptable it's telling them what's expected and it's telling them that these kinds of things that are definitely not okay are are okay and are mainstream even not even a fringe sort of thing but are mainstream like this is what you do in a relationship. This is how this works. And that's what pornography is teaching them. And because of the lowered self-worth you're talking about, some of the girls, even if they don't like it, is there the potential that they'll accept it because they think that's what they deserve? Absolutely. I think that it's just this vicious spiral down. And it just feeds off of itself. So you, you think that's all I'm worth. When I thought about going into the industry, it was not because I wanted to be liberated and because I loved the idea. I firmly believe that that was all I was worth. Like, it doesn't matter that you have straight A's. It doesn't matter that you like to color purple. Like, none of you matters. Like, all that matters is your body and what it can give somebody else. There wasn't even, and that's one of the things that pornography does, it, it just tears away the person, and it makes them, it reduces women to a collection of body parts. And as a woman, I began to believe that, that that was all I was worth. My, who I was did not matter. My hopes and dreams did not matter. All that mattered was what I could give a man, and he can take it however he would like. What sort of research is actually available 
on female porn use so far? I've gone through mountains of research and I've found very little, but you've obviously spent a lot more time looking for it. What is out there? There is not a lot. Um, even in, in, we're talking non-conservative and secular culture, it's recognized as one of the most woefully understudied demographics. And now there's an up, there's an increase in interest because of the rise of sexting, right. which is big among teenage girls. And so now there's this heightened awareness um, in, in this desire to, to maybe see why <laughs> um, women are turning to this and w- are exposing themselves in this way and are, are moving this way in their relationships. Um, but there's not a lot of research out there um, specifically on women. There are some comparison studies that compare female brain to male brain when it comes to um, like how the two respond to pornography. There's some studies from the 90s and the early 2000s that try to analyze the difference of maybe where a man looks versus where a woman looks while watching it and if women are turned on by sound and men are turned on by visual. And, like, different nuances in it and different aspects of it and what makes them different. But no real studies that I have found specifically on women and, um, and how it affects them. There are polls, and, but if we've seen anything recently, it's that polls aren't always reliable. Right. And this is such a, a shameful topic for women that some women won't even admit to it, even in an anonymous poll, because they just don't want to admit it. It's that whole two-persona thing, and the woman who has it all together cannot admit, even anonymously, that she's got this problem. So I, for one, don't trust um, the poll data from even from groups like Barna. There have been other groups who have done studies to try to figure out exactly how many women um, are watching or what age range they are, how much or what kind. They've done these different studies. We're trying to piece it together, but because it's so not acceptable in culture at this point and because it's so shame-based, I think that the women, even in anonymous polls, are afraid to admit, probably mostly to themselves, that this is a problem for them. So as far as reliable polling data, um, I, I don't feel like there is, there is not much. Um, in 2003, there was an anonymous online survey down of Christian women, and 20% of them um, admitted to having a pornography addiction, and that was 2003. So we, you can only assume that it's gone up since then with the, the increase of availability online and the smartphones and I know those of us. just the mainstreaming of, of porn for women. And we've got Fifty Shades of Grey that came out, that whole phenomenon, and Magic mm-hmm. Mike and everything. It's just it's being pushed into the mainstream. So I would honestly... Say, even from groups like groups that I've done, twenty-five to thirty at least, and that's of millennials. We're not even talking about um, today's teenagers. Like twenty-five to thirty percent of millennials would probably say that they are were addicted to pornography. That's not even counting those who might just use it with their boyfriends a couple times a month or anything like that. I was just about to ask you. I know people like us don't like to speculate, but you're more in tune to this problem than almost anybody out there. I don't know any other female speaker. 
experience. So when you, when I stand in front of an audience full of men in a church, I can make a pretty good guess as to how many of them are addicted to porn. When you stand before an audience of women, how much of the crowd do you estimate has a problem with pornography, is struggling with, or used to? I usually estimate half. Um, in some way, shape, or form. I would say, if I had a room of 100, um, I would assume that at least 50 of them have had some kind of exposure. And the other thing to remember about women as well is that we have more of a range of um, use of pornography. So some women um, really get into erotica and... That becomes what they use for arousal. They'll go to erotica websites or softcore, whereas men kind of don't worry about that. They <laughs> they skip that part. Right. Um, women, you can have some women who that's what they struggle with, whereas other women might struggle with the hardcore pornography and some women both. There is a group, I don't have the research in front of me, but there is a group that studied women and were trying to find support for the idea that women struggle with erotica and men struggle with pornography. And they found out that it wasn't either or, that for women it was actually and. Right. So women struggled with erotica and pornography. They did both. So in a room of 100 women, I can assume that 50% at least have some sort of struggle in this arena, whether it's softcore all the way up through to the hardest core stuff. Um, I can probably just exposure, I would say 75%, um, at, at some point have seen it. Um, but at least 50% would struggle in some way, shape or form with some variation of this problem. And I would say half of that. So 25% are actual like hardcore pornography addicts. And that has proven true in almost every group that I've spoken to because they come up to me afterwards um, because I've presented, I've, I've become a safe place for them. When I go and I speak somewhere and I share my story, I become a safe place so they don't have to have that persona anymore and they don't have a problem coming up and saying, I have this problem. And in groups all, all over when I've spoken, that that metric has kind of held true that 25% of the room will have some kind of struggle with hardcore pornography and probably 50% of the room some sort of struggle with either pornography or erotica. So just to close the conversation off, for all the girls who are listening to this, what do you want to tell them? Where do you want to tell them to go? And what sort of advice can you offer? Yeah. Um, Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing I want to tell them is they're not alone. Um, it amazes me that I, mean, I get emails upon emails every week. I meet with women when I go out and speak. I usually set aside time to meet with women, and every every story from a woman has at some point in it, I thought I was the only one. Right. And it always blows my mind, even if we're working with a statistic like 20%. Um, that there are 20% of women out there 
and every last one of them thinks that they're one in six billion. You know? Right. <laughs> that they're that they're the only one in the world who who struggles, and you're not alone. And stop making yourself feel like you're alone. Um, another problem that I run into is that. Um, okay, so she wasn't the only woman who watches porn, but maybe she's the only one who watches... Now she's insisting she's the only one who watches this kind of porn. Like, they insist on being alone. They insist that no one can help them. Um, so I really would just encourage those, those girls who are listening that you're not alone, and don't force yourself to be alone. Don't isolate people who are trying to help you. Um, and to be encouraged, because... I mean, the conversation is changing. I've been doing this for seven and a half years now, and when I first started, no one wanted to talk about this at all. Um, pastors would tell me, oh, women in our church don't have this problem. We don't need you to come here. Uh, I got it from magazines. I got it from <laughs> all schools, all kinds of places saying, oh, well, women actually don't have this problem. And I was saying, no, actually, they do. So now we're seeing this shift in the culture where we're starting to talk about it, and that's exciting. Um, so just for them to to have hope, so you're not alone, there's hope, and to really try hard to find somebody to tell. You have to be careful um, because it is such a it is such a personal and emotional struggle for a woman that it can be hard um, to tell to tell somebody, and then if you tell the wrong person, it can lead to more damage. But um, just to really try hard to find somebody to take down those personas with. You've got you to break that, that double life that's happening. You've got to take it down, and you've got to identify wholly with what's going on. Like, yes, you might be the straight-A student, and yes, you might be the worship leader, but you are also a woman who struggles with this and be willing to make that connection with somebody and have them just come alongside you and extend you that grace. And the amazing thing that I have found when I have told my story or when I have even encouraged girls to finally step forward and tell theirs is that as much as we might think that there's shame waiting for us, and in some cases there is, but as much as we might think it's going to be constantly met by shame, there's so much grace. And I have had girls who have stepped forward in their dorms on colleges and have said, listen, this is what I struggle with. And they have been met with other girls in their dorm who said, oh, my goodness, me too. And they started support groups. Um, that's happened in colleges. It's happened in churches with women that I've worked with who I've said, you just have to tell somebody. And if you don't know who to tell and just stand up and say, this is who I am and this is what's going on and they've just been amazed and it's just, it's hard. It's hard when you're kind of pioneering the conversation and it's not something that we talk about much in churches. It's not something we're talking about much in the culture, but it's that time is coming. I think where it'll be more of a mainstream conversation, but for right now you have to kind of take that, that really brave and absolutely terrifying step of going first, wherever your circle is and wherever your community is of, of being that woman who steps up and who goes first. And you might not be able to lead a support group or you might not be able to to write a blog about it. And that's fine, but you are opening the door for other women to know that they're not alone. And that's such a gift. And that is such a, a grace for them. So I would just encourage them that they're not alone and they need to 
do what they can to be seen and to help others be seen as well. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this. Of course.